0: Welcome to episode 64 of No Shot Clock. I'm Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun Times. Here with me is Joe Hendrickson from the City Suburban Hoops Report. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> There's been all kinds of troubles. We missed last week because of Joe and I just busy schedule um, and then all kinds of technical issues tonight, but we are ready to go a little bit more frustrated than usual, but we're gonna Jump on in here. Um, Start off with the questions. We got some questions from you guys. We're going to hit those. Then we're going to do our two takes. And then we are going to hit the preseason stuff we missed last year, which Joe and I are less enthused about than we would have been a year ago. But I feel like we should get this stuff on the record anyway. Right, Joe?
1: Yeah, and also we can get a production uh, assistant that can come in and <laughs> yeah. work for free uh, to produce.
0: You, you know, we uh, we bought know. this new Answers Media Place. I went in there and recorded a video for that investigative story. So uh, maybe they – I mean, seriously, we're, we're, like, hiring people that know how to do podcasts and stuff, so.
1: All right, well, hopefully we don't have to do a, <laughs> anything else than what we've done tonight, which was a nightmare. But anyway –
0: Questions. All right. We got a lot of questions here, and let, let's jump right in. The first one is from Rennell Chapman. If you are a listener, you know that Rennell Chapman is our number one question guy. He says After watching Morgan Park challenge the Goliath, Findlay Prep yesterday, down to the wire, there is no question they should win Class 3A. That was their first game of the year, and they were hitting on all cylinders. Your thoughts on Morgan Park and the game? Then he says, I got there early, so I enjoyed the event and free food. I missed this free food, by the way. I was starving. (laughs) Uh, What were your overall impressions of the event? Does the Elite Classic have as good of a team as Finley Prep or as good of a matchup as Morgan Park versus Finley Prep? If not, which game will be the closest to it? Uh, So let's start out with the thoughts on Morgan Park and the game. I guess I disagree a little with Ronell. I didn't think they were firing on all cylinders. Um, I guess A, my thoughts, bull bull. Wow, <laughs> he was really, really good. Um, yeah. I was super impressed with that guy. Um, I, I mean, it's hard to see how he could ever, it seemed like whenever he wanted, he could score. It was just a question of sometimes he didn't bother. Um, and like crucial part of the fourth quarter there, when Morgan Park was there, he went and he got his like eight points in a row and that pretty much ended it. So I'm, I'm not sure, you know, it was close. Morgan Park kept it close, but I kind of got the feel that whenever Bull Bull decided he wanted to win the game, he was going to win the game. And he did. Um, and and
1: I, that's why he's a top 10 player in the country. You know, <laughs> yeah. man, those guys jump out at you. Those guys are above and are beyond and above everybody else. And when you see a top, a consensus top five, top 10 player nationally.
0: I don't think Morgan Park was hitting on all cylinders. I think they got tired, which I'm, boy, I could probably count. That's not a, something I ever remember saying about Morgan Park. But they were definitely tired, and they because of that they weren't hitting any outside shots. And if you don't hit outside shots and you have two seven footers in the paint, you're kind of in trouble. So, um, I guess that's kind of my quick thought on it. Not.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and as far as the comparison of the Chicago league classic, no, there isn't that big time David versus Goliath, uh, out there because there's really not a Goliath sunrise. Sunrise Christian has a, probably the most individual talent to them in La Uh but there's just not a there's not that draw of you know even what we've seen in the past Chicago League classic teams where uh, there's a monster monster program power there and so as a result there's not that type of a game that Reult's talking about I don't think in my in my
0: opinion no yeah I was I mean it's Kind of likely that I'm not even going to be covering it this year. There isn't a game I can get in the newspaper. Um, you know, we have deadlines and stuff, so I can't get Oak Park Fenwick into the paper. So that would mean covering two one and 1-3 teams, Lions and RB, when I could go see a, you know, a better game somewhere else on Friday. And then Saturday, the games are all local teams against out-of-the-area teams, which doesn't make a lot of sense for me either. So it'd be kind of weird to miss the Chicago League Classic, but that may be happening. Um, as far as my overall impression of the event, it was—if you ever wanted to live in a shoe commercial for nine hours, that was the place to be. It was amazingly professionally done, as far as the production and the way everything looked and felt. It was crazy. Never, never been anything close to it. It was something else. But as far—if you were a fan, it was a nightmare. From everything I've heard, I'm still getting people complaining to me. Fans were clearly not the priority um, at all. So I think a lot of people would think twice before going um, to another one of those. But it it was definitely an experience. Let's see. Um, Next question from Jeff Pearson. I believe this is the first time um, he's asked a question. So welcome, Jeff. He says, since the Chicago Public League schools and the Catholic League schools in the state are clearly not interested in following or even pretending to follow IHSA rules, i.e., recruiting, player residency, extra practices, etc., why doesn't the IHSA simply force those schools to compete against themselves in their own state tournaments? New Jersey does it in football. Wisconsin used to have separate public private division divisions amongst all sports.
1: Yeah, Mike, I've heard this argument before, particularly in football. And now, you know, I, first of all, you'd have to have someone to step in and step up and say, this group or this these people aren't specifically following the rules, which I don't know if that'll happen. But I, I for one, do not like the idea of getting rid of anybody. And I just, I'm a part of uh, this high school basketball tradition in this state, which has included all the private schools, all the Chicago public schools. And I think if there is an issue or a problem with the rules, those need to be addressed as opposed to, Just breaking it all apart and going our separate ways. I just don't like the idea of that at all.
0: I 100% agree. Uh, Don't see any way in which that improves anything. And also, I'd like to point out, you know, the public school, the CPS schools get a lot of the heat, Catholic schools. This is going on every, everywhere. We have several rogue suburban programs uh, right now that are doing a lot of these things. And I was talking to somebody down in Pontiac just this week, and he was telling me about how there was some softball player that lived in Fairbury but was going to punt. This is happening everywhere in every sport. Uh, it's,
1: it's happened in the Metro East area in St. Louis over the year. I mean, exactly. there's been all kinds of transfers, including arguably, you know, you could argue that Belleville West the best team in the state of Illinois this year. They've, they got a tremendous transfer, Malachi Smith from Belleville East, uh, who transferred over for his senior year. And I'm not here to say that it basketball, I, I'm not saying, I'm just saying the transfers. I'm not saying anything illegal. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that there are transfers, high-profile transfers, uh, throughout the state of Illinois, as you're saying, and particularly, you know, those those strong teams down south. I, you know, um, there's been, you know, from the you O'Fallons know, and the Edwardsville and all the Bellevilles, and Belleville-Altoff won those titles. There was, I mean, there's transfers on all these teams. So... It isn't just a public league issue.
0: No, but I hear that way too much, and I'm kind of sick of it. I mean, the Peoria Central team, the one with Livingston, uh, and sorry, not Livingston, uh, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? They had a bunch of transfers that last yeah, Peoria sure Central team.
1: Yeah. Sure yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I watched a tremendous player this weekend, uh, at Brother Rice, Marquise Kennedy, a transfer uh, from Crete Moni. So, you know, there's a public to private. So, I. I I don't know. It, it You could spend an entire podcast on that topic, that issue, and you would not make – it would be 50 percent people happy, 50 percent unhappy. You, you can't please everyone. I get it. But, and, but I do think there are – and this is for a different topic. I do think there are some rules that could be implemented – and the IHSA, but that's a whole different, forget it. That's a whole different uh, topic and story.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, next question from Patrick Devitt, long-time question asker. It says, Mike and Joe, two questions for this week. First, who do you see as this season's Taylor Brennaniga, a.k.a. the small school guy who puts up monster numbers and garners some mid-major interest? Joe? is not
1: happening. Uh, <laughs> <All right. laughs> no, I mean, you... I, did, yes, Taylor Bruniga came out of nowhere, but he was clearly on evaluators' radar. I mean, I thought he was a Division I player. I didn't know he was a mid-major, but I couldn't believe the Eastern Illinois, the Western Illinois, teams in the Ohio Valley, the Summit League weren't all over him coming out of the summer. They weren't. He didn't have any offers. And then he just lit it up. Everybody was coming in. He became a mid-major, and he ended up at Illinois State. Uh, but he was clearly on the radar. I I don't. There's not a guy. Like what I'm saying is, a year ago you would have said Taylor Bruniga ends up being that guy. It wouldn't surprise me. Is what I'm saying. Right now, I, I don't know if that guy is out there. I mean the, the the he's especially asking the small school guy. I definitely don't see that. You know, the small school out of the Chicago area. I, I don't see anybody out there that fits those characteristics.
0: yeah. Um, I have no idea. Have so uh,
1: and, and you know, and then you say, well, how about Chicago area kid who does not have you know the type of interests or offers that maybe well, that fit that description? You know, a guy like DeAndre Heckard of Romeoville, he's got a few Division one offers, uh lower Division one. You know, he's the one that I keep getting phone calls on from mid-major programs. You know, just kind of checking on to see. But you know, Justin Boyd from Whitney Young is another one. You know, looking for a breakout season from a kid like one of those. And and who knows? We'll we'll see if that if that happens and materializes between now and in March. The second
0: part the second of part. Patrick's question is. About the sectionals, we're gonna to get to that in another. Well, oh, we'll just let's do it now. He says, second, why does it seem like the IHSA has punished the CPS specifically for a with the new geographic reassignments for sectional play?
1: I mean, maybe your take's different, Mike. I guess should ask you as far as do you think it was? I shouldn't say different take. Do you think it was uh, a specific? the specific reason was to get the public league out of Peoria. No. I My take is that they change it all the time over the years. Uh, you know, every, I there's be- some, sig-
0: I believe it's every three years.
1: I was trying, I was going to say every yeah. three or four years, there seems to be a significant shakeup, you know, for all the, I mean, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, cause I don't specifically remember, but I think before this last one, the last shakeup change that there is going back you know five, six years ago, wasn't there a time where there wa- we the brackets shaped up where there was only one publicly team getting there in for it, or has there always been an opportunity to get two in, in in the
0: I think there's always been an opportunity and there might still be an opportunity now. Just, well, you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Just not these high levels. I mean the levels. powers,
1: west yeah. side, south side of Chicago. Yeah. I, I, and I, again, I'm completely wrong. For whatever reason, I thought there was, I remember hearing complaints, why can't we have two city teams in Peoria? And then it changed, and I could be wrong, and then it changed to the format we currently have or had, and now we're going back to what we could only. And, yeah, and what it,
0: happened was Young and Simeon were in the same sectional.
1: Correct. Cause and and, and, yeah, so the public league wasn't always going to Simeon wasn't
0: always going south,
1: right? So what I'm saying is, when those years of marrying Catholic Tyler Ullis teams went went south, exactly, yes. I don't believe there were public league teams, and I could be wrong. And as far as I mean public league teams, I'm talking the powerhouses. Yeah, I don't think Simeon Curie. I I don't think those were going in that direction. But
0: They weren't, no.
1: Well, you weren't because we know – yeah. so what I'm saying is that, that to me lends itself that there was only one truly chance – true chance to get a public team to Peoria.
0: And the, the kind of the funny part about this is, you know, everybody focuses on the city teams and all that stuff. But if you really want the area that got screwed in this new thing, it's the South Suburbs. They don't have a great south, team. South Suburbs and the West Suburbs. South You're suburbs
1: worse, like the Riverside Brookfields of the world is what I'm talking about. Not
0: like, like the South Suburbs. If if Thornwood or Thornton or or Thorn, whoever, if there was a 4A power in the South Suburbs, they would have to beat Simeon in a sectional title game and Young in a super sectional game just to get to state.
1: Well, that's where I'm reversing on the west side is they got to be just Young in a sectional. Well, Curie. Yeah, Curie could be in that West one. Oak Park. I'm, well, check this out, Mike. If, if let's say there's another, so you got Fen. You, you're, it looks like you're gonna have Fenwick, Curie, Young, Oak Park, <laughs> all on the sectional.
0: Yeah, yeah, that and, that sectional's loaded. So
1: you yeah, got to beat one. two of those yeah. in the sectional and then beat Simeon in the super. That mm-hmm. to me is. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm saying it's kind of the equal. I I believe on the West side in that near western suburbs uh now the one positive one the plus i think there's some pluses with this and again this is another podcast topic as well but i do like the idea that those north suburban teams are not driving through the city of chicago to get to chicago state to play a south <laughs> or a west side school that that makes no sense to me where okay. evanston you know, last year I had to go down to Chicago State and play in a super sectional. That that's just makes no sense to me.
0: I mean to me this is it's just frustrating because there's just a clear solution here. We have eight sectionals. And those sectionals there's not much to argue about. You're based you're going to where you're closest to. Right? You know you know well, what sectional. I, I you're think going
1: there's to. there's one of two things. You go that road or you open it up to which there never will, I don't think, in the Chicago area, even though some people do, where you go more of the football model. And you kind of avoid, you You don't care about travel and distance and geographics and, and geographical areas. And you you go to these super monster, I don't know what it would be in basketball, but 32 teams where you're grouping them together and seeding them widespread. Yeah, and that,
0: I don't, I don't, yeah, I, the, I don't just,
1: think that'll ever happen.
0: Just rotate the eight sectionals and, and let people know in advance, put out a 10-year list. And these, this is how we're rotating sectionals every year into the Supers. And then this is over with. And mm. and none of these distances are that far anymore. You know, I'm sorry, there's not much of a difference. But between, they
1: act like it is.
0: Yeah, but go, there's not much of a difference going from Lincoln Way to ISU to going from Oswego to ISU or even Evanston to well, ISU. Well, the other
1: thing, I mean, when it comes down to the Supers, it shouldn't really I matter. Mean, no,
0: just rotate it. So we can get a different look and it's no conspiracy because you just laid it out what it's going to be for the next 10 years. We don't know who's going to be good in five years. You know what I mean? Just stop all this weird, you know, who knows what's going on. So everybody well, there, thinks they're the, agreed. The, the,
1: the, 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 but there's two argument. The one argument is uh, we we clearly have two areas of... Chicago area that have that have public league teams and have quote unquote powers. Now we don't have it currently because the South Suburbs is a little bit down. But in the past, you know, the Marian Catholic, like use that example, Tower Ulysses teams and uh, some great Thornton teams and so forth, and then you got your South public league powers, Simeons and those schools, and then Bogan, and then you got or I'm sorry, that's three A. And then You've got your west side. It's a – people either want – it's like an argument. People either want them separated, so the best teams are playing in Peoria, or they want them together, so the other people want them together, so they knock knock the other ones out and only one can make it. Because that's what it is. I mean, it's those two areas are – the issues with people when they look at the brackets.
0: Yeah, but a lot of it's perception. I don't really, I mean, I'm on record of this. I prefer the geographic thing. And I think last year was a prime example. I mean, what was Whitney Young-Fremd was a six-point game. Uh, Bolingbrook-Simeon was at a nine or ten-point game. Both good games. A lot of people would have said that other people should have been blah, blah, blah. Everybody doubted Fremd the whole way through, but they're on that court and they belonged. And I, I don't think we should do this Base things on my rankings on how what teams should have paths to state. You know, I just don't think that's right. I do like the way the IHSA does the geographic thing, Um, and I think more often than not, it proves right. Even though it's not what people might have wanted to see, right? I think it's the way to go. I mean, I I, I, the only
1: thing I ever I'm not really create. I don't get all bent out of shape about these brackets because I just. For the most part, I feel like you beat you got to beat and you get there. But the, 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 as a fan, I'm going in a fan mode. The only thing I hate is when I do see the brackets, and and sometimes it's just luck of the draw, like you said. You rotate them, and whatever happens happens that particular year. But I do hate when two the two weakest sectionals meet up with each other. And I know you can't forecast and predict that, but There are geographical areas that are just simply weaker than others, and
0: yeah, that that's totally right. But I think this would help if we just rotated every year, because it seems like that'll happen like on a three-year kind of, you know. But I kind of don't.
1: I kind of don't want two of the (laughs) sections playing each other. I, I just, I don't know. It's just as a fan, I'm like. Oh, I hate when those... I don't want those two to have to play each other. That means I guarantee one of them. And, and again, it doesn't always mean that there's going to be a bad team at Peoria, but it just lends itself to happening. Because that team... Because what happens, Mike, is that when the, in these weak sectionals, and there's only like one team, if that one team gets upset, which happens, it's not like, okay, the next team's pretty darn good. You know what I mean? It's just... Okay, but one of these three or four get to Peoria, I'm excited. But sometimes there's that sectional where if that one team doesn't make it, it's like, it just, ugh.
0: But. I mean, th- and as far as our problems go, this is way low on the totem pole. That there might only be one 4A CPS power at state. I mean, the whole 3A thing needs to be blown up with a nuclear bomb.
1: Well, the 3 it, yeah, that's so bad. Very-
0: this is the least of our problems. Um, right. <laughs> as far as the state tournament, that's for sure. But uh, let's move it on here. As you know, we could talk about that topic for a while. Uh, question four, it's from Joe Robinson in Arlington Heights. He's, I also believe, a first-time question guy, and I like this question. He says, hi, guys. If you could pick one neighborhood that would enable short commutes to quality basketball throughout the Chicagoland area, where would you choose to live? The goal would be to find the best balance between good basketball and short commutes. I think he means, like, town cities. I'm um, not just, you know, a neighborhood in the city. Uh, this right. is actually something that I've been doing <laughs> a lot. Um, my wife and I were looking to buy a house last year, mainly. And uh, we, we've stopped now, basically. But the last two years, I guess. So I, and this was tops on my mind. I plan on, you know, knock on wood, having this job for a while. And where I live, I live in the city on, on the west side, Ukrainian Village, Wicker Park area. And it's a nightmare. It takes me 40 minutes just to get out of the city. And then I have to get to wherever I'm going. So, like, a trip to Schaumburg could be two and a half hours, depending on when I leave. Uh, It's a complete nightmare. And so I've been doing what Joe kind of asks. I've been wondering what the best place is. And I think I've nailed it. Basically, anywhere in the LaGrange, Oak Park, even you go as far south as Hinsdale-type area, once you're far enough west out of the city... But not too far out and then you can get around the city instead of having to go through it to anywhere you know if you're in LaGrange Oak Park area you can head up to Evanston easily you can you'll get around to the south suburb super easily you can get into the city pretty easily obviously you can get out to the Geneva area I think that's the key <laughs> and I actually would research it sometimes I would check the uh, traffic on my phone and see how quickly when we were looking at a house I could get out to the games and that seems to be the win Um
1: Well, you have a broad spectrum there. So that's Chicago Air. I'm going to zero in on something and and a a little bit different answer to the question. And it's unique to this year only. And it it does not reach... Oh, yeah. It it does not reach everywhere that you need to get to. I understand that. But I'm just going to talk about this real quick because I actually did a little homework, geographical homework on this one question. This whole Fox... Uh, the Upstate A River, Mike, this season has a chance to be really, really special and unique because of, and this goes in, if you live in that area, and I'm talking about Batavia, starting in the South Batavia to Geneva to St. Charles up to Elgin-Larkin area. Right now, this league has, I mean, they had five teams ranked among my top 40. They had three in the top 25 in my rankings and there are some natural i mean saint charles east saint charles north is a rivalry geneva and batavia is a rivalry um they've built rivalries among those schools and then larkin is, is is just north i mean we're talking four miles five miles six miles apart for all these schools i mean from batavia to larkin's a little bit farther but it, it, it's really a unique situation where you have this many teams in one league with built-in, already established rivalries that are a short drive from one another, and that's and again, it doesn't answer that question, but it is a really special. Potentially, you know, maybe the season will go all for a couple of them. I don't know, but it is going to be a fun winter up and down that upstate eight river valley uh, conference
0: yeah it sure is i remember kind of my glory days all the big 10 players we had back when it was james augustine at Lincoln Way East, and they had a great – Lincoln Way, sorry. They had a great team. Alondo Tucker at Lockport, they had a great team. And then Roger Powell at Joliet, and we had a great team. Those were just magical times. This is going to be – those teams don't have those kind of players (laughs) or those kind of teams, but it is so much fun when an area and natural rivals and conferences can do that. So that it's going to be an awful lot of fun out there. I might head out there Friday night. I'm thinking about – I don't like to see Pontiac teams before Pontiac because I see them so often, but that St. Charles East St. Charles North game on Friday night is it's enticing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, next question is from Doug. Uh, he's a Providence St. Mel guy. He says, my trip to Quincy was fun. It was great seeing my team away from our standard Chicago backdrop. Everyone was relaxed and we had a blast. Everyone should see the show Quincy puts on when they announced their lineup. But the best feature to me was their hall of fame room. The room itself features running video highlights of the 1981 undefeated state champion, college jerseys of former stars, and three foot-long flip cards, memorializing all the Quincy Hall of Fame inductees. What are some of the best Hall of Fame rooms of honor you've seen?
1: Well, I mean, Thornton comes to mind. Um, They have a pretty neat, unique setup, but I mean, it's hard to match Quincy. It really is. It's just a... It's one of a kind in this state, and I can't imagine what that place was like. I mean, I've been there years ago, but it was even kind of past their prime of being. I mean, what that place must have been like in the 70s and 80s, late 70s, early 80s, must have been just unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I'm not aware of anywhere around here. I mean, Thornton's got that room, but yeah, I don't think anybody around here does it very well. Send me an email if anybody knows if their high school has something cool like that. I'd be uh, I'd like to check it out, and I'm hoping, I, I've never been to Quincy, always wanted to go. I think next year might be my chance. One of our high level teams, I won't, I can't name any names. Contracts have not been signed or whatever yet, but I think might be headed to Quincy uh, for Thanksgiving, and if they don't play on Thanksgiving, I don't think I can get away from that. But I might try to go. Anyway, next up. Question, or, sorry, uh, Ryan Saunders. This is a good one. I listen to the show every week. Love the show. But my question is, if and when Joliet Central wins regionals and makes it to state, will they finally get the credit they deserve?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean I,
1: I think, Mike, I mean, you you're, have your <laughs> bias, yeah. but I, I think Joliet Central got a lot of credit last year for what they did last year you yeah, know. I, I, I mean they, they were one of the surprises of clearly one of the biggest surprises of the high school basketball season and especially taking a little bit of thunder away from Juliet west which was obviously came into the season with all the hype uh they had some classic duels so i mean i i i don't think they would have been overlooked or not talked about enough
0: no, I think, I mean, I'm a little afraid what would happen if Juliet Central won state. I might just do some do a mic drop and walk away from high school basketball forever. <laughs> it might be the end of it for me if the Steelmen uh, were able to hoist that trophy. Um, yeah, I don't know. There is this kind of burgeoning thing on Twitter, too. It's a lot of the Juliet Central kids think I don't like the Steelmen. So, just goes to show you, man. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you'll have plenty of other people that would, <laughs> would fight in your honor of, of, <laughs> yeah. of that one. Yeah, I guess.
0: Hey, Ryan, there was one point at which I, mean, I, I saw every single Joliet Central back then. It was Joliet Township. I saw every game for twelve years. I traveled the Midwest. Um, I was a literal Steelman super fan. Um, they were the glory years. Went to Columbus, uh, Gary Bell, many other people. Anyway. Um, next up, this one is uh, our first ever I think question from someone who won't give their name it It was just concerned fan <laughs> and the uh, the email was some mysterious thing so I, I wondered if may, if we should address it or not, but I figured why not because it is in the news. Um, I missed
1: this one. I missed this email or missed this question. So I'm (laughs) interested to hear it.
0: Concerned fan. (laughs) says, Can you touch on player transfers and how eligibility is handled? Seems some teams get the answer way away before the season starts and others sit quietly and have to wait till who knows when, even though paperwork was in before school starts.
1: (laughs) Uh, Another topic that could, I mean, I, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I don't know any way to answer other than a case by case situation. I mean,
0: yeah. I, I mean, the CPS paperwork I've heard is extremely daunting. It's many pages. It, the I, I well, I've heard that the bar of proof is much higher than the suburban one, and they're annoyed by it. And the paperwork is generally late and generally incomplete, from what I hear. The CPS doesn't seem to be sitting around or the IHSA on complete paperwork twiddling their thumbs. More often than not, it was user error and not submitted properly. There will be, for an example, an address and they will find out it's an apartment building but there won't be an apartment number. And so then they'll go back and try to get the apartment number and then that'll be a delay of a long time. Um, and this is all happening now with, you know, the High Profile Catholic League to publicly Transfers that are held up. We don't know exactly when we're going to answer on that. You know, there was a story on that website, I'm sure most of you saw, based on the traffic. And I have not heard that any of those kids were uh, were ruled eligible yet or played Chase Adams on Friday. Uh, From what I understand, he had not been cleared yet or thinks they have something from the CPS that will make it okay. I wouldn't be surprised if they eventually ended up having to forfeit that win. Um, I don't know if they'll be cleared for the game on Thursday. I guess... The way it is handled is every school district has its policies, and the IHSA has a policy, and they're all a little bit different.
1: Well, and it matters, too, what the the school is doing on the other end if they've signed off on it.
0: Exactly, and that was the problem here. The Catholic schools did not concur. That means they did not sign off on the transfer, and so that meant it went to the IHSA, which is why they're looking at it. And... I mean, that's it. It's, it is what it is. I think the best idea I've heard recently, I don't know if we hit it on, on on the podcast is to just change the policy to everybody gets one free transfer. Basically you're eligible right away. You know, you realize you didn't go to the right place. You can go uh, within that second one. You have to sit out.
1: Wait, everybody can transfer one one time. time for free. Yep. Everybody, no matter the circumstance.
0: That's correct.
1: You think that will happen?
0: Um, I know that it has a lot of support, and I think the IHSA likes it. A lot of people like it. Um, I don't know if it will happen, but it seems like they might solve a lot of our problems,
1: or create more. <laughs> because I mean, <laughs> there'd be more. I mean, it, the the it'll solve the problem of the bureaucracy of it.
0: I think the Dad. first year it might be a mess because everyone would use their free transfer all to go to the same place, but then they'd realize that they're not playing, <laughs> and so they would think twice about you know what I mean. I, I don't know. I think it's a good idea simply because I think the big problem is people transferring multiple times, not just the one thing.
1: Yeah, I yeah I don't know. It, it, again, this is a whole another top a uh, 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 complete. Hour long podcast to break it down and argue and debate it.
0: That's it for the questions.
1: Alright, well we last year we did um our regular two takes, Mike and I would do just kind of individually what we took away from the week. And so we've got two of ours this week uh each. And my first one, Mike, is I, I've been very critical in the south suburbs and what we are to expect this high school basketball season. I just think it's down. I think it's as down as it's ever been. Uh, and I, I think it is an opportunity for some schools that maybe even haven't received the attention because of you know, the Thorntons and the Thornwoods and the HFs and the Mary Catholics kind of stealing a lot of the thunder over the last decade. But Rich East, I went and saw Rich East play. And I came away really impressed. You know, I, I, I they play at a tempo and a pace that is different. They they if anybody saw their scores last week, they scored one hundred and five in the season opener, beating uh, Riverside Brickfield one hundred and five to ninety five, which was just an up as you can imagine, up and down game. But they averaged ninety five points a game over the over four games. And they, Craig Hodges, the coach, the former Chicago Bull, has is, is got them playing at a breakneck speed. They play hard. They are deep. I mean, he plays 10, 11, 12 guys. Vashon Sims is, is a high-scoring, potentially high-scoring senior guard who, I mean, in this system and style, he could end up averaging 20 a night. But they've got multiple double-figure scores. I think they had five guys with, four guys with 18 or more in a game. But uh, Ramon Woods is a five eight junior point guard who I really liked in that frenetic style of pace. He kind of played under control. He's a you know he, he makes that team go. and I, I think he's a under the radar junior. And I think Rich East, it's a three a school. is going to be interesting to see what they do. they're 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 for real, Mike. and I, I believe you know they could potentially crack your top twenty five rankings at some point.
0: And their uh, path to state has been... Morgan Park has been cleared out of the way. <laughs> so that's got to feel good for all those South Suburban teams. Um, you know, I had a look at... I saw Richie's at the beginning of last year, and all the style things were correct. You know, they didn't have, I don't think, quite the skill level. I and mean, with a lot of those kids just a year younger. Um, but you definitely saw that... You know, they had an identity, and they know how they want to play uh, under Craig Hodges 100%. Yeah,
1: I mean, they they play. I mean, kids like Nate Reese and Antron Washington and Clifton Jimerson. I mean, uh, again, they've got 10. I mean, they had them all playing the first half, and it was was just the one thing I took away from this week, too, with, with that in mind, Mike, is I was lucky this week. I saw several, several good games, as well as, finally, a lot of points scored, which... Uh, it's been hard to come by in recent years as far as point totals. It was fun to see some offense in in a lot of these games I saw this week.
0: All right, my first take also uh, about what I saw this week. It's not a coincidence, if you've noticed where I went this week, where I went. (laughs) I went to see the team, the tier of teams right underneath the powers because they were the ones I was concerned about. I was worried about where I ranked them. I was worried about... How good they were going to be, if they really deserved this. So I, I made sure that I saw Niles North, Waukegan, and Larkin. Niles North's undefeated. Waukegan picked up, you know, not a great loss to Carmel. Also lost North Lawndale. Larkin lost to Rockford, Jefferson, and Young. I'm not super concerned by the results. I went and I, I, I can lump them all together. Uh, take it one by one. I am impressed. My fears were uh, assuaged. Uh, Niles North is for real. You know, they're missing their second best player right now, Jamal Stevenson. But this team, they're deeper than I thought. There's some good young players there. You know, they they are totally skilled. I think they could, they might, they're definitely better than I thought. They could give the city powers a game. Um, I'm a little bit more confident of that than I was, especially the second half of the season when they get Stevenson back. Um, Larkin... Wow. I mean, Jalen Shaw was just a beast. You know, Young didn't have anyone even capable of attempting to stop him. And I saw Michael Laughlin, the Fenwick kid, who's not even technically a big had a lot of success against Young in the post last night, so I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm a little bit. But if Jalen Shaw plays like that, he's a definite All-State contender. And Larkin, you know, the guards played well. They gave Young a heck of a game. I mean, we saw right there they were able to compete with the public league powers. While Keegan, I mean, to me, I wrote about in the notebook, this team might be the favorite to be number one next season. You know, I think they might be a year away. They're all juniors. And I think we saw in the losses, they need all three of the Browns on the court at all times. They don't quite have the depth of a lot of the other teams. That's going to be their issue. When they were missing Jordan Brown for a half, they lost. When they missed Jaden Brown for a whole game, they lost. So they got some things to iron out there. But I'm not worried anymore about having these teams in the top 10 and kind of looking forward to them improving this year out of the three i think larkin might have the highest ceiling this season in which to improve they're definitely worth keeping an eye on that's why they're still up there in the rankings even though they lost two games
1: yeah larkin and if if you went back and read my massive preview of my top my my rankings and i kind of highlight specific things for each team the larkin one was all about Jalen shaw as far as when he plays at an extremely high level they're a different team. He was a monster in last last March in their postseason run. He uh, he put together a terrific run at that time, and and uh, that is going to be the key this year as far as his consistency. And can he do that? You know, every night out. And and if he's doing that and playing at that high level with the supporting cast that surrounds him, then Darren Carter does have a legitimate team that can stay in a. You know, a push towards the top 10 ranking and stay in there and big, big factor uh, come state tournament time in March. You know, my, my second take is, you know, it it's branches off from what I was talking about earlier about these the Upstate 8 River Conference. And I, we, I think you and I have talked about it a lot. We've written a lot about it, just how exciting it's going to be. But a league that I think that didn't get a, an, an, a ton of fanfare as a whole. Uh, in the preseason and, and talked about too much was the Central Suburban League South. Now, Niles North obviously has made that move uh, into the Central Suburban League South just recently, and they're the favorite this year, and deservedly so. But if you look at that league right now, it, it is, uh, I, I, was a, I was probably higher on a couple teams in, in New Trier and Maine South than other people. Maine South is really kind of flying under the radar I really like their potential. I ranked them among my top 30 teams in, in my in my rankings in the preseason. But right now you got Niles North 4-0, Maine South is 4-0, and New Trier is 4-0. And then you got a young, pretty dangerous Evanston team that is, is also uh, going to be a factor this year, and they're 3-1. and one. So those four in that league, all, you know, Niles North, is, Niles North is clearly the favorite and the one to beat and the best potential to reach Peoria. But that's going to be a, a fun league, a deep league, and, and, it, and it's, as, as, it's as strong of a league as, as the majority of them out there.
0: Yeah, Maine South almost made the rankings this week. They were really close. I had about seven or eight teams that were all kind of similarly worthy to get in there, and they were just one of the two, I think, two or three that made the, the, didn't quite make the cut, but definitely keep your eye on them for this year. My second take is on North Lawndale, which always seems to be kind of a little bit of a public league unknown headed into the season. I called Lewis Thorpe, the coach, when I was wrapping up the preseason stuff to see, you know, what he thought he had, and he told me Demetrius Douglas was going to be one of the best players in the city. I didn't necessarily, it's not like, it's not that I didn't believe him. I just wasn't, you know, totally sure. I'd seen him play a little bit last year. Well, guess what? (laughs) Demetrius Douglas is a load. The kid can score from anywhere. The game I saw, he had 28 points, nine rebounds. He kept that up throughout, you know, the tournament out there at Grant. Led North Lawndale to a win over, they killed a good Rockford Boylan program. They beat Waukegan by one, I think. They destroyed Grant and they, I think they beat Carmel by 30 points. You know, Carmel beat Waukegan in that event. David Forrest, I think most of us know him, very athletic, rebounder, was getting a lot done on putbacks and stuff, kind of your Ed Morrow type, um, which every high school team really excels with. And some young talent, some younger, long guys. North Lawndale's is going to be a factor for sure, you know, in the – what is it, the Northwest it's called now, the, the Red Northwest, and definitely going to be a factor in 3A, which is – you know as we know extremely weak but i wouldn't be surprised at all if we're talking about north lawndale late into march
1: yeah no i mean like you said they they seem to pop up with a player or two out of nowhere that that you know the the west side does i mean farragut's kind of the same way sometimes uh but yeah i mean I, i i did not have a whole lot of I did not have big expectations uh for North Lawndale this year. And you lose Carlos Hines. Marshall Barnes is like the backbone, you know, that team last year. And you know, potentially I didn't see them. I mean, from what you saw, can they be better than last year?
0: Um no. I don't think they'll be better than last year, but in 3A, right. Can they give Morgan Parker a game, I guess, is what it comes down to. Because that's who it would be in the super sectional. Um, I'm not super confident in that. But I think they can give him a better game than I thought they could uh, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. we'll see how it comes along. A lot of young players. And I guess Lou Thorpe was not – he did not think they were playing well. He said, you know, because about like half the team played football this year and they never had before. And he thought – he said they're banged up. He said they're sluggish. They're not like basketball players yet. So maybe – the best is yet to come. Um, we want you want to do some of this preseason stuff. Yeah, uh, <laughs> That's how excited I am about it. <laughs> well, it, it's
1: it's kind of unfair because it's not preseason anymore, and yeah. we're we're putting together all state team. But I, I'm just going to run through my preseason all state team, Mike. I, you know, I'll just I got some, you know, the seniors of at Morgan Park. Uh, I, now I go, Mike, and I always talk about assembling our all state teams and how we put them together and how. Mike loves his big men, and I get that. And but in today's high school basketball, and even college and pro, I mean everybody's going small. So I went small. I do have a, a, a legit guy with size, and EJ Liddell, uh, out of Belleville uh, West. I, I think, I think he's the strongest contender to player statewide player of the year award. To I would assume the favorite as anybody, and EJ Liddell, my six seven big man uh horton tucker my versatile guy who i can plug in at any position uh, on the perimeter and i can even go small and put him at the four zion griffin from hinsdale south my athletic he can play the wing play the four as well so he's a three four guy uh and then i've got uh this is the unfair one where (laughs) because of what i you know, Whitney Young went 6-0 and this week, right, weekend? Didn't they play six games?
0: Yeah, yeah, they did.
1: 6-0 and beat three teams that were either ranked or will be ranked in the state. Uh, they beat the best team out of Rockford, Rockford Jefferson, uh, who everybody assumes and believes will be right there in the hunt for a trip to Peoria come March. And then obviously beat Fenwick and um, Larkin. And Javon Freeman from Young uh, put up numbers in the week. I, I know Mike was at a game where he was—I I can't remember which game you were at—Larkin, right? And
0: yeah, he was great in both games. I was saw the Young and the. Yeah. So league. I mean, I—I I, I, again, it's—he wouldn't
1: have been if we did this podcast a week ago. He would have been like a second team All-State selection for me. But after that week, I, it's impossible for me to ignore. So I put him on on the All-State team. So I got Taylor Horton, Tucker, Iowa Dasumu, Zion. Uh, Griffin, Javon Freeman, and EJ Liddell.
0: Yeah, a lot of agreement here. The only thing I don't – I think everybody's a little too aware of my uh, feelings about Javon Freeman's game, and he's living up to it. I think he's an absolute monster and was terribly under-recruited. But anyway, I I, I have Francis Okoro, the big man from Normal West on, instead of Freeman because I want a big man. But then I'm looking at my team, and I'm almost too big. I mean, yeah, you, you, you I, got, I, like... I only have one true guard. <laughs> it's Io. Yeah.
1: You got... Uh, I mean, because Zion Griffin is... He's a hybrid forward. Yeah. He's a 3-4 guy. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's...
0: I guess the uh, one I would add, the one... I got to say, DJ Stewart, man. Well, I was going to say,
1: my, my, I, my next group of players includes two sophomores, DJ Stewart and Adam Miller. And... You know, we'll see the type of impact Adam Miller had. We know what DJ Stewart's going to have because he already impacted last year. Adam Miller is going to have to get acclimated to playing with, you know, Io DeSumo and the ball in his hands quite a bit. So we'll see how they play off one another. I got a story actually coming on that um, a little bit later in the week. But, yeah, and those two young kids, along with Francis Okoro, the junior, they would be in my next batch of, uh, you know, second-teamers.
0: Yeah, I guess it shouldn't be surprised, but DJ Stewart did not – he did not look like, oh, that's a really good sophomore. He looked like, oh, that guy could be player of the year this year.
1: Well, think about it, Mike. I mean, think about the experience he gained last year as a leading scorer for a team that won 30 games, reached Peoria, finished second in the state. Yeah. I mean, that is just so valuable for any player, let alone a kid who was a freshman, who, you know, I've said that that's the most productive freshman season at a high level with. High stakes since John Shire.
0: Yeah, he's um, he's something else. I I don't yeah, very impressed. It was there was a great game he put on against Young. Um, I guess that wraps up anything everything we had planned. I, I I do have a list here. We can kind of take a quick look at the week ahead. There's not a whole lot to say on Tuesday and Wednesday. On Thursday, allegedly, Orr and Crane are going to play that game that was canceled from last or postponed from last week. At Quest, Wait, we'll see about who? that. Wait, who? Oh, sorry, Orrin Curie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my bad, yeah. You don't think anybody wants to see Orr Crane? <laughs>
1: Orr and Crane, baby. <laughs> yeah,
0: Orr and Curie. Um, Thursday's actually pretty good. Main South and New Trier, which matchup of, you know, top 30 teams for sure. And Farragut at Kenwood, the debut for Kenwood, Farragut's local debut. So Thursday's a nice night with some good games. Friday, the ones to kind of keep your eye on. Big grudge match. The, the Twitter war over the last two years between Wheaton North and Wheaton South is uh, it's hot fire. <laughs> yeah. Don't think of that as a basketball hotbed, but they're going to go at one another. Another great uh, rivalry, the one we talked about earlier, St. Charles East, St. Charles North. You got Willowbrook at Proviso East, which should be a good game, and Waukegan Lake Zurich. Uh, so Friday night, you got some nice local conference games.
1: Yeah, you downgraded this week. It's not, too, it's not too bad.
0: No, it's just Tuesday and Wednesday are trash. Yeah. Um, Tuesday, this is like the worst Tuesday probably of the season. Uh, Saturday, we, we've got uh, DePaul against Bennett, and then everything going on at the Elite Classic. And I guess that wraps us up. I yeah,
1: that Chicago Elite Classic, you know, real quick, a, a game that's kind of become a staple in that event is, and I've written about it quite a bit, is that Oak Park Fenwick game. Yeah. Uh, they've They've brought huge crowds, great atmosphere with the students. And the games have been pretty good. So that's the highlight of Friday night at the Chicago Elite Classic. And then people that want to see an out-of-state, or not a uh, Chicago-area team that's really, really good. And you and those that go to Pontiac will see Bloomington. But Bloomington and junior Chris Payton, they'll be up here playing St. Rita on Friday night.
0: Yeah, St. Rita, you know, I heard some really good things about them from their play over. I think they lost to Jefferson, right? Was it? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the only team they lost to. But um, you know, everybody was back from last year, so I am yeah, I'm very interested to get a look at Saint Rita and Bloomington. Definitely is fun to watch. That that is a, a nice game at the Elite Classic for sure. All right, that is a wrap for us. We will be back next week. Um, feel free to send your questions, even you know, before I ask for it on Twitter. It's M O'Brien M O B R I E N at SunTimes dot com. And thanks for listening, everybody.